Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. Holland quoted the youth in saying that we should be all in. Well, I've heard that before. What exactly does that mean? Maybe in part it means this. Alexander Nybar was born a Jew and joined the church in England and emigrated to Nauvoo in 1841. His parents wanted him to become a rabbi, but he became a dentist and a surgeon instead. Once in Nauvoo, he became a close friend with the prophet Joseph Smith and grieved when Joseph was martyred. Not long after the martyrdom, Alexander Nybar, this German-Jewish convert, met William Law on the streets of Nauvoo. Now, Law had been a counselor to the prophet Joseph Smith, but had apostatized in 1844 and was largely responsible for the events that brought about the prophet's death. And even after Joseph's death, William Law continued his attacks upon the Latter-day Saints. According to family history, when the two of them met on the street, William Law held out his hand to shake hands with Alexander. Brother Nybar, friend and defender of the prophet Joseph Smith and faithful convert, bravely withheld his hand and said firmly, William Law, I never give my hand to a traitor. The enemies of Joseph may have been many and strong enough to kill him, but just as strong and true to the prophet Joseph Smith were the likes of Alexander Nybar and many others like him. Now, sometime after that, Alexander moved his family to Farmington, Iowa. This is during the exodus of Nauvoo. And there he practiced dentistry. One day, while working on a patient, Alexander rested for a moment, and the patient began to say ugly and unkind things about the prophet Joseph Smith. Alexander Nybar rebuked the man sternly and defended the character of the prophet. The man became angry. He grabbed his pistol and threatened to shoot Nybar if he did not hold his peace. Then the man raised the pistol, pointed it at Alexander's face, and snapped off every barrel. But for some strange reason, not a single bullet fired. The brother of the client, the man in the chair, came running in from a nearby room to see what was going on, picked up the pistol, and stepped over and emptied every barrel outside the door in the air. They all fired. Story doesn't end there. Then in 1848 at Winter Quarters, Nebraska, Alexander went to Brigham Young about outfitting, fitting himself out to go west. The Nybars had sufficient food and other supplies to go west, but they didn't have a wagon or teams to pull it. Brother Brigham evidently counseled Alexander to stay back 
and come later when he had a complete outfit. Alexander is reported to have said, quote, Brother Brigham, I never turn back after I put my hand to the plow. Besides, my wife is sick, and if I don't get her out of this place, she will die. End of quote. <laughs> President Young answered, quote, Brother Nybar, I wish I could see every Latter-day Saint show the same determined spirit. End of quote. He then counseled him where to go to get a wagon and a team, and they became outfitted, and they made the journey across the plains, arriving in the Salt Lake Valley, September 22, 1848. Alexander Nybar, like so many others, endured and sacrificed much for the Lord's sake. It is said that just before his death, one of his sons asked him, quote, Father, you have been telling us of your long and hard experience, and we have listened with intense affection and interest. But let me ask you, is it worth it all? Is the gospel worth all the sacrifice? End quote. To which Alexander fervently replied, quote, Yes, yes, and more. I have seen my Savior. I have seen the prince in his hands. I know that Jesus is the Son of God, and I know that this work is true and that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. I would suffer it all and more, far more than I have ever suffered for that knowledge, even to the laying down of my body on the plains for the wolves to devour. End quote. Oh, that is powerful. Alexander Nybar passed away in Salt Lake City on December 15, 1883. He was 75 years old. He is buried in the Salt Lake Cemetery by his sweetheart, Ellen. I tell you that story because not only does it manifest the determination that I hope we all have to be on the covenant path, to get to know and become like the Savior. But I think it also illustrates the end of that path. What happens if we do, if we're all in, all the way to the Savior? Next. Angels do not have to be seen to have influence upon us. As Nephi told his brothers, that they had heard the voice of an angel and not seen him. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, even if we can't see them. Quote, In 1847 and 48, the Samuel and Elvira Steele family was living in Mount Pisgah, Iowa. This was one of the way stations along the trail from Nauvoo to Salt Lake. They were a part of the great exodus of the Latter-day Saints from Nauvoo to the Rocky Mountains, According to family history, at one point, Samuel left his family in Pisgah and for a time went to work about 200 miles away. I'm assuming this is in, down in northern Missouri. Many of the saints at that time traveled south and found work down there. It is presumed that Samuel did what everyone else did. Well, anyway, while he was gone, his daughter, three-year-old Lavina, was playing before the fire when a hot coal popped onto her dress and set her dress ablaze. In panic, 
Little Levina ran outside where the wind caught the fire and spread it. A neighbor across the road saw Levina and ran to help. The fire was extinguished, but Levina was badly burned. The family joined together in fasting and prayer for Levina's recovery and that her father, Samuel, would come home. Meanwhile, Samuel and a friend had completed the long winter journey and had indeed found the work that was promised. One night as they left a prayer meeting, Samuel announced to his friend and traveling companion that he, quote, must start home in the morning, end of quote. His partner was surprised. We have just got located and ready to work, he said. Brother Still said, while the meeting was going on, I heard a plain voice saying, you are wanted at home. One of your family is ill and nigh unto death, end of quote. Brother Steele was determined to go, but his partner said, It is winter. The snow is deep. The weather is cold. No conveyance. No road broke. Brother Steele said he must go home. So Samuel started out away towards home. Two days' journey. When he met friends who were on their way to Pisgah with a horse and sleigh, they offered Samuel a ride. Upon arriving home, he learned what had happened to his daughter, that she had been severely burned and was very low and near death. He later described in graphic detail just how severe her wounds were. The family was surprised to see him. He explained the voice he heard and the message. Curious. They questioned Samuel as to the exact time the message was received. As he explained to them when, they then told him. That night, that hour, that minute, we were all in fast meeting, praying to the Lord to send you home. Levina would recover, but she would carry those scars the rest of her life. She came on to the Salt Lake Valley, married Benjamin Franklin Barris, and settled in Grantsville, Utah. This was not the only moment when this hardy pioneer woman proved the steel of her faith. More to come at another date. Next story. Elder Ulysses Suarez spoke so powerfully about compassion yesterday morning and how it is, among other things, a measure of our love for and closeness to the Savior. His talk deeply touched me. The year was 1979. Lindy a friend of mine, and her mom and sister were leaving the parking lot of the Bernina store in downtown Logan, Utah. Because of construction, there was a very deep ditch or gutter running alongside the exit from the parking lot. Lindy's mom, who couldn't see very well, accidentally drove over the edge and the front of the car dropped two feet down into the gutter and was stuck fast. The dear ladies tried to reverse out, but the car would not budge. Can you visualize this? Can you see it? Just then, a young man happened to drive by. He looked, saw the situation, backed up, and jumped out. Lindy describes what happened next. Quote, 
He then got down in the gutter in front of the car and instructed my mom to put the car in reverse. Then he told her to gun it and lifted the car. He had some major muscle power going on, Lindy said. Somehow, he lifted the car with all of us in it up and put it back safely onto the parking lot. Still quoting, he then promptly left without saying a word to anyone. I remember he had brown hair and glasses. End of quote. <laughs> well, now, just for the record, just in case you're curious, this was no smart car, no golf cart. It was a massive 1978-79 Plymouth with a V8 engine weighing in at almost two tons. These cars, we used to call them lead sleds. That's how heavy they were. Lindy adds this postscript to the event. Not sure if this would be possible for a human, but it definitely happened. I was there. End of quote. Now, I love that story. Question, was this an angel or a mere buff mortal? Answer, does it matter? Really? Does it matter? When we undertake to help those who can't help themselves, we are doing what angels do. We are angels. I hope this week you are someone's angel. Next story, rather touching. Is there anyone that you love so much that you would do anything to be with them again on the other side of the veil? What are you willing to do to make your relationships eternal? Joseph Ainsworth and his wife, Mary, joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints during the first mission of Heber C. Kimball in 1837. On the 4th of July, 1854, a daughter was born to the family, Mary Jane, bringing the number in the family to five. When Mary Jane was only two years old, her father tragically passed away. Then in 1862, the family sailed to America on the steamship Manchester. There was Mary Jane, her mother, and her two older brothers, Joseph and James. They landed at Castle Garden, New York, and then made their way to Florence, Nebraska, where they joined up with the Henry Miller Wagon Company. Now, Mary Jane's mother was ill almost the entirety of the voyage across the ocean, and was still not recovered as they began their journey across the plains on the 5th of August, 1862. One day, somewhere along the trail, it was late in the day and almost time for the company to make camp. Mary Jane and her brother went out to gather buffalo chips for their evening cook fire. Mary Jane and her brother, both young, were so intent on what they were doing that they wandered out some distance from the road and failed to notice the train move on. They quickly became lost as the darkness closed in upon them. 
Their terror was even more as the wolves began to howl all around them. They were far out away from civilization with no one, emphasis, no one, to help them. Remembering what their mother had taught them, the two wee ones knelt down and asked Heavenly Father to, quote, keep them from harm and to guide them safely to where the company was camped, end quote. According to the family history. Soon after this, they saw an old lady who said to them, Don't cry, my little dears. I'll take you to the camp. Follow me. She was not a member of their camp, and when she had led them nearly to their camp, she disappeared. When they related the experience to their mother, she told them the old lady was surely an angel sent to help them. And who can doubt that, mother's word? For what mortal being would be out there on that trackless waste, so far from human habitation, alone at night? End of quote. Mary Jane and her family came on safely to the Salt Lake Valley. Her mother remarried in 1865, and then a year later, Mary Jane's new stepfather was injured and died just a few days later. On the same day that he died, their wheat stacks, hay, everything they had burned to the ground. The shock of losing everything they had and her husband's death was too much for the already weakened body of the little mother and she died a week later. She passed to her final rest, October 1866. Her last words to her daughter, Mary Jane, were, quote, My dear, never leave the gospel. It is true, and I want to meet you on the other side. End quote. Mary Jane never left. She was faithful all her days. She became the mother of 10 children, a nurse, a primary president for 20 years, a faithful daughter of God, a servant of the Lord. She is buried in Brigham City, Utah. That's why I tell these stories, my friends. I want to be that kind of a person. I want to have that kind of strength, grit, all in, all the way to the Savior. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.